This is the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. We exist to help all kinds of people find and follow Jesus. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Let me just say that uh, I am probably not the guy that you were anticipating being up here today, particularly because the lead pastor is in the house this morning. I'm generally just the utility guy that fills in for him when he's out. So the fact that he is actually present with us this morning is a little unnerving for me. So just go ahead and bear with me as I kind of fumble my way through our text this morning. But I wanted to kick off and do things a little bit differently than what we're typically accustomed to. And in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul, as he's admonishing his young protege, Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy 4.13, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. And I want to exercise that a little bit this morning, and I want us to have the opportunity to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. And so what we're going to do is we are going to read out loud Psalm 33 together this morning as we begin uh, the service today and concentrate on the message that God wants to speak to us today. So I'm going to ask if you are able to please go ahead and stand. And we are going to read this. You could turn in your Bible if you want to, but I will let you know every verse from Psalm 33 will be available for you on the screen to read along with. And so let's read this out loud beginning in Psalm 33, verse 1. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to Him. On the ten-stringed lyre, sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people, but he plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. From heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place, he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all, who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. 
No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. But the eyes of the Lord are on those who fear him, on those whose hope is in his unfailing love, to deliver them from death and keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our shield, help and our shield. In him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, even as we put our hope in you. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. So as we've made our way throughout this particular Advent series, we've been consulting Rebecca McLaughlin's Is Christmas Unbelievable? And I wanted to let you know there are still several copies available of that book for those that have not had the opportunity to pick up one yet, you could grab one of those on your way out at the welcome table this morning. And if anything, if you already have one, you could just grab it and give it as a Christmas gift to that family member you don't like and don't want to spend any of your money on. So you can go ahead and just pick one of those up and stick it in a stocking and be like, hey, I was really thinking about you as I was uh, considering what gift I could possibly give for you. So just to let you know, those are available out there for you, multiple copies left. Feel free to pick out one or five on your way out today. But uh, as we have made our way throughout this Advent series, we've been considering a few questions. And what I want to do right now is kind of provide a recap of everything that Matt has walked us through over the past three weeks. And so in week one, we considered the idea or the question, was Jesus even a real person? And Matt consulted uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verses 14 through 16. It says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it or he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. And, and he threw out a couple of points at us in regards to um, really kind of uh, moving forward with the idea of Jesus being a real person. He was talking about the witness of Scripture itself, who Scripture uh, testifies as who Jesus is. He talked about the witness of the church, the fact that we, on December 19th, 2021, are still talking and gathering around uh, the centrality of this figure definitely points uh, to the realistic nature of who he is as he walked upon this earth. He also talked about the witness of early external sources, early historians pointing to the reality that there was this, this group of people who had centered their lives around the teaching of one whose name was Jesus. And finally, the witness of the wider world around us. Matt made mention of, of the reality that really no historian that's worth their salt 
would discount the reality that Jesus was a living, <clears throat> breathing person who walked upon the face of the earth. And we've, we move on to week two, and we asked ourselves the question, can the Gospels actually be taken seriously? And what he did here was he consulted an Easter passage in order to obtain a Christian or a Christmas message from Luke chapter 24. And he talked about the ordinary nature of those that God chooses. I don't know about you, but the older I get, I know I'm not, I know I'm not necessarily that old, but I'm approaching my 40th birthday very quickly in 2022, and I am beginning to feel the pre preliminary aches and pains of everything that goes along with that. But I am grateful the older I get that I'm becoming more and more of just kind of an ordinary person. I'm one of those people that like, I love Jesus. I want to pursue him wholeheartedly. I want to be a good husband and a good father, but there really isn't a lot more to me. I mean, I like The Office. I like quoting random movie lines. I like Seinfeld. I like to eat. That pretty much comprises my makeup of anything other than me loving Jesus. So there's really not a lot that is extraordinary about me because I'm a pretty simple guy. And Matt moves on, and he talked about uh, the detailed nature of the text and also the difficult nature of the claims of the gospel. Jesus wasn't winning any popularity contests by his claims, yet his very claims have altered the course of all of human history. And finally, there was a, a very obscure point that he made, but is important nonetheless. It's this countercultural nature of women as the first witnesses to the resurrection. And he made mention of the fact that women were not acceptable legal witnesses and their testimonies were completely disregarded. A story like this would not have circul circulated in first century Palestine unless it were absolutely true. What is communicated by the biblical authors is so wildly unpopular, yet it was penned by them and began being circulated throughout ancient Palestine because of the reality of the things that occurred. Finally, last week, we asked ourselves the question, how can you possibly believe in the idea of a virgin birth? And we looked at Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. We saw that without the work of God the Father, through God the Spirit, to bring about the humanity of God the Son, Jesus would have been born into the sin of Adam that rightfully condemns all of humanity. Matt stated, just as Adam, through his actions, brought sin and death and became the representative head of the old race, how much more so has Jesus Christ, through his supernatural birth, sinless life, and atoning death and resurrection, brought salvation and life, thus becoming the representative head of a new race, the redeemed. And we considered a couple of things. The virgin birth of Jesus is a reminder that salvation is first and foremost a supernatural work of God himself. Secondly, the virgin birth of Jesus is a reminder that salvation is fully a gift of God's grace. 
Thirdly, the virgin birth is the evidence of the uniqueness of Jesus, the Savior. And finally, the virgin birth is the evidence of God's power and sovereignty over the creative order. Just because we can't fully grasp God's infinite nature with our finite minds, this in no way limits his supernatural capabilities whatsoever. And so now I'm left with kind of the most important question as we've considered these three previous questions since the beginning of this series. Why does this even matter? Why is what we've covered for the previous three weeks so important? And I could think of no better place to talk about why this matters particularly to Christ's church in this particular day and age than John chapter 1. So you can go ahead and make your way to John chapter 1, and I'm going to set the stage for what John is actually communicating. In John chapter 1, John actually kicks his gospel off with a prologue that is in kind of a poetic form. And it's just kind of like a, a preliminary treatise, if you will, to what he is going to be discussing in the totality of his gospel. And let me say this before we dig into John chapter 1 specifically. We have to be very clear as Christians about who Jesus is. If we are incorrect, then Christianity is simply the biggest sham the world has ever known. But since these fragments and copies of scrolls collected and preserved throughout millennia, which speak of real-time events, places, and people who tell of a real Savior who is the hope of the world, there is most assuredly a strong defense for the historical reliability of everything that this claims. And as we take a look at John chapter 1, John is writing his gospel from Ephesus perhaps sometime between A.D. 85 and 95. Keep in mind that this is most likely 50 to 60 years after the resurrection of Jesus had occurred. You have the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Synoptic meaning they're seen together. But John and his gospel kind of stand on its own since it was uh, recorded and written at such a later date post-resurrection. And John's prologue is an attempt to relate both to a Hebrew and a Greek audience by using the Greek term logos, which is a message and not just a single word. John is trying to communicate that God's, worth, God's word is both a person and a message. So let's start in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. If you have any familiarity with the Scriptures whatsoever, 
that very first line in John chapter 1, verse 1, should make you recall another instance in Scripture at the very beginning. We should have Genesis 1-1 in our mind right now. This is the exact same language that John is communicating from the Hebrew Scriptures of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, because it begins just the same way. In the beginning. This draws our attention right there. And it says, the word was with God. This speaks of an interpersonal relationship between the word and God. But then he says something very interesting. What does it say? The word was God. And this affirms that the word is also the same God who created the entire universe. And to illustrate my point, I'm going to take us back to Genesis chapter 1 real fast and just kind of walk through the verses. God uses his word to create. Genesis 1-3, and God said. Genesis 1-6, and God said. Genesis 1-9, and God said. Genesis 1-11, then God said. Genesis 1-14, and God said. Genesis 1.20, and God said. Genesis 1.22, God blessed them and said. Genesis 1.24, and God said. Genesis 1.26, then God said. Genesis 1.28, God blessed them and said to them. And finally, Genesis 1.29, then God said. God is using his word to create everything that has been called into existence. And he is utilizing his word to do so. And his word is Christ. Picking up in verse three, through him, through him, Jesus, the Logos, the word of God, through him, all things were made. Without him, Nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome or understood it. Let's take a look at a couple of other places in Scripture that really emphasize everything being created through Christ. 1 Corinthians 8, 6, yet for us, there is but one God, the Father from whom all things came and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things came and through whom we live. And then, of course, there's this principal chapter, which I really can't ever preach a message without referring to this. And you'll, you'll discover that about me the more opportunities, if I'm given any other opportunity to preach after this. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. 
It goes on. It says, in him was life. Australian New Testament scholar Leon Morris says this, it is only because there is life in the logos that there is life in anything at all. Life does not exist in its own right. And it says, and that life was the light of all mankind. Morris goes on to say, John is preparing the way for the thought that he will develop throughout his gospel, that Jesus is the life bringer and the light bearer. As a family, we love going to Branson, Missouri. That's kind of where we vacation every single year. Uh, we, we always try to find something a little bit different to do every time we go to Branson. And so this year, we decided to take the kids to a place called Fantastic Caverns. It's a cave located and tucked away in the Ozark Mountains. And can I just let you know, I don't really do well in confined spaces. The last time I preached, I talked to you about being on planes and taking off. Don't do well in situations like that. And then I find out taking a tour on a little cart through a a very close cave wasn't something that really jived with my personality either. And so here we are on vacation, and there's us, there's myself and Julie and the kids sitting in the back. But everything about the history of the cave itself was pretty fascinating until we actually started driving into the cave. And my anxiety begins taking over. And I'm wanting to reach inside of my bag and pull out a plastic bag or a paper bag or something and instantly start breathing into it. Because the further we go into the cave, the smaller things get, and you're having to literally duck so that you're not decapitated, and all of these things are flying at you. But we reach a certain point of the tour where the tour guide just stops driving She gets out, she's talking a little bit about the cave, and then she just shuts the lights off in the cave completely. And I am not doing well. (laughs) Because literally, this is the most darkness I have ever been around in my entire life. You hear of situations where you can't see your hand waving in front of your face. This was exactly like that scenario. And so I'm sitting there breathing, holding on to my kids. Daddy, you're hurting me. I'm breathing, I'm breathing, I'm trying to get through this. She wants us all to be quiet so that we can really take in the whole experience. And I'm sitting there like... (laughs) And finally... The cave comes back on, and the lights in the cave come back on, and and stuff kind of stabilizes a little bit. But that really got me thinking about this particular passage as Jesus not only being the life giver, but the light bearer. It says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus says later on in the book of John, John chapter 12, verse 46, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay 
in darkness. Let that be an encouragement to you today. If you currently find yourself in a place where you are fumbling around in the darkness, Jesus has come into this world as the light bearer who brings you safely out of it. That is what he does. That is who he is. He is the light. He is the life giver and he is the light bearer. In him, there is no darkness whatsoever. And so today we're asking ourselves the question, why does this matter? This matters because Jesus is pre-existent. All of life originates from the Trinitarian God. One divine essence, three eternal personal manifestations, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. There was not a time when Jesus was not. Jesus' beginnings were not in Bethlehem. He has existed eternally with the Father. And so he is pre-existence, therefore that is trustworthy, and it matters to us as Christians that Jesus is pre-existent. Let's move on to verse 9. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. John's re-emphasizing the reality that the world was made through the Word, through Christ. The world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a, human, or of a husband's will, but born of God. John's communicating that not only did the Gentile or pagan nations not recognize the one through whom the world was made, but the elect Jewish nation didn't recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah either. He came to his own. He came to the nation of Israel. He came to the Jews, yet he was rejected. He demonstrated proof that he was, in fact, God in the flesh, through miraculous works and a profound understanding of the Old Testament Scriptures, yet he was dismissed by them because he was not what they were expecting. But it goes on and it says, yet to all who did receive him. And this is not saying I agree with some of these things that Jesus says. Excuse me. This is saying that I have a willful submission to the person and work of Jesus Christ within an obedient relationship. Authentic belief in his name is demonstrated by initial and continuing repentance of sin, initial and continuing faith, trust, and belief, and perseverance throughout life. <clears throat> Excuse me a second. What these things do is they characterize true children of God. 
These are the ones he has given the right to become his children. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. Woo! Pray for me real fast. Hello? Oh, there we go. Sorry, I've been struggling with some allergies lately. Mm. Let me provide a southern translation for uh, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. This is saying, just because Mama took you to church when you were little doesn't make you right with Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So today we're asking ourselves the question, why does it matter? It matters because Jesus is personal. He came to that which was his own. His own rejected him. But yet, to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of the flesh, but of the Spirit. And we could just as easily say, that's a reason why it matters as well. Is because there is still time to receive him for who he is. There is still time to receive the reality that he lived a sinless life. He suffered a substitutionary death. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he ascended to the right hand of the Father where he lives to make intercession for those who have called upon his name in faith and repentance. So Jesus is personal. And then we see finally in John 1.14, the word became flesh <clears throat> and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 fulfilled, that therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. Don't miss this. Uh, The eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, limits himself by being wrapped in human flesh. I think it's easy for us who are familiar with this story and who are familiar with the reality that Jesus became flesh, somehow we have it in our minds that he is not going to actually remain that way. Don't get, don't get me wrong here. He is crucified, and on the third day, he is resurrected in glorified flesh nonetheless, but he is still flesh. And so this is actually a limitation that the eternal Son of God has placed upon himself for all of eternity. 
And I don't know about you, but that serves as a great comfort to me because it further emphasizes the reality that he is able to sympathize with me, flesh, in my weakness. Listen to what David Mathis, the executive editor of Desiring God, says. The eternal divine son didn't simply make a cameo in the created world. He forever joined our humanity to his divinity and for all eternity will be fully God and fully man. There's a couple of places in Scripture you can take a look at this if you want and jot jot them down. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. And 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 5 through 6. But isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? For all of eternity, we will undergo a resurrection like Christ's himself, and we will behold him with resurrection eyes, but he will be glorified flesh, and so will we. We will undergo a resurrection like his. And that serves as a great comfort to us. So today we're asking ourselves the question, why does it matter? It matters because Jesus is present. He is present with us today. Those who are God's children, like I said, we will one day be united with Christ in a resurrection like his. We'll see him with those resurrection eyes, but we can trust that he is present with us now. Especially as we think about the significance of what this particular season means to us. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says, When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of His glory. And so I don't know where this particular season finds you today. I don't know if you're, if you're sitting next to a spouse that you can't really stand lately. I don't know if you're devastated by the loss of a loved one. <clears throat> I don't know. <coughs> Goodness, Lord. <coughs> I don't know if um, you've been served divorce papers I don't know what the situation is that you find yourself in today. But I do know that Jesus is present in that situation and circumstance. And so I'd like to draw our attention back to what we read at the start of the service in Psalm 33 particularly at the end, verses 20 through 22. Let's read this together again. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May your unfailing love be with us, Lord, 
even as we put our hope in you. Mm. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for joining us online at the Lost Mountain Baptist Church podcast. For more information about service times, giving, and upcoming events, check out our website, lmbc.us.